prayer is a funny thing. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like this. Um, I've wondered sometimes whether God gets a good belly laugh out of uh, some of the things we pray. Um, I would give this, by way of example, uh, I'll just draw on a couple of, of movie uh, examples. Um, there's a family movie called Nims Island, um, which is, uh, Jodie Foster plays the role of uh, a character named Alexandra. Um, she goes by Alex, and she's uh, a famous author, writes uh, adventure novels, all kinds of adventure novels. Um, and the irony is that she herself is deathly afraid of leaving her home. Um, won't step out the doors for weeks at a time, even months at a time, uh, describes herself as borderline agoraphobic. <laughs> and, um, uh, but she encounters in some of her research for her next novel this uh, person named Nim on this South Pacific island and is getting information from her as she researches. But then comes to realize that Nim's actually an 11-year-old girl and she's actually alone on this island, has injured herself, and no one else will listen to her, so Alex determines the only thing she can do is to leave her home and, and, and fight through her fear and, and go on rescue. She gets partway out in this in the middle of a bumpy little plane ride in the middle of nowhere, clutching her backpack, and, and, and she prays, I promise if I survive this thing, I will never leave my apartment again, and I will always listen to my deepest, darkest fears. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you ever prayed one of those kind of prayers. Lord, if you just get me out of this, I'll never take a risk again. Um, uh, there's another family movie called uh, Evan Almighty. Neither of these are particularly new, but uh, Steve Carroll plays the part of, of Evan Baxter, who's a uh, TV anchorman, a news anchorman uh, turned politician. And he gets elected to the United States Congress on the platform that he's going to change the world. And a few days later, his wife Joan crawls into bed with him and recounts how she's had this really humorous kind of experience praying with the boys at bedtime. And she kind of turns to Evan and she says, um, you've made some pretty big promises. If I were you, I would be, I would be getting all the help I could get. And, and uh, she rolls over and turns and goes to sleep and he's got the news on and he sees his own campaign promises and, and decides that he gets down on his knees on the side of his bed and, and in kind of a halting way he says, um, God, um, Joan makes a good point. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Would you help me change the world? Um, over and out. Uh, and he's, he's, done, he's done his prayer. I've prayed, I, I prayed a lot of those kinds of prayers. Uh, Lord, help me. I, I feel like I'm in over my head. Um, uh, Lord, would you just kind of show up in, in the midst uh, of, of these circumstances here? Um, what was Jesus praying shortly before he faced his greatest test, his most severe trial? Um, as he saw the storm coming, and, and he had a, 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 a pretty clear sense of where this was going, what was the nature of the conversation that he was having with Father God? This morning, we're going to, to look at that, and I think, I hope that in looking at it, there will be some of you who will say, I think this needs to change the way I pray. Uh, we're going to look at uh, what's commonly called as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's recorded for us in John chapter 17. And it's one of the, the longest, it is the longest prayer that we have of Jesus, recorded for us in the Gospels. Um, it is kind of one long prayer, but you can kind of divide it into three sort of themes or movements in it. As he 
Jesus prays for himself. Um, and then he prays for his disciples, the apostles. And then he prays for us, those who would believe in him through the testimony, through the witness of the apostles. So we're just going to look at the first part of that prayer this morning as Jesus prays for himself. Let me invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read it for you. Um, out of John chapter 17, I'm in the New International Version. If you uh, happen to want to look it up, it will be on the screen behind me. This is the first five verses of John chapter 17. This is the word of the Lord. After Jesus said this, so he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it and apply it this morning. You may be seated. We get this kind of rare and amazing opportunity to get a glimpse into this conversation between uh, the Son and the Father, uh, between Jesus and Father God. And if ever there was there was someone who some of you have a spectacular relationship with your dad, others um, didn't have that opportunity. But but those of you who do. Um, some of those intimate conversations that we're able to have, that you, you kind of know what they're going to say next. You know, those people that you know best in conversation. Um, as I think of the, the idea of prayer and the idea of meaningful conversation, uh, it, it strikes me that surely there is no one who's got greater insight into how to conduct a meaningful conversation, how to, how to lead into an effective conversation with Father God than the one who had actually been in his presence through all eternity, the second person of the Trinity. A Father, Son, Holy Spirit in, in beautiful, friendly, intimate conversation together. Surely, surely he would be one that we would look to as we would desire some instruction on, on how we would pray more effectively, more, more meaningfully. And here we get the opportunity to kind of get this glimpse into uh, the, the Son speaking to the Father. And, and to be honest, at least years ago, this, this was not what I would have expected in this moment, the, the prayer to look like. Um, and, and for years now, it's, it's significantly influenced how I pray as I attempt to speak to the Father concerning the things going on in the world about me. And now Jesus had gathered his disciples together in the upper room. They were together for this final Passover meal. John tells us about this in the chapters that precede where we've been. He washed his disciples' feet. You may recall that. And they had shared the Passover meal together and, and shared the broken bread and shared the cup. Uh, and, and in the midst of this, they, Jesus was bringing teaching to them. Somewhere in the course of the meal, Judas Iscariot slipped away to go and betray Jesus to the high priests and the elders. And so Jesus was teaching. He's instituted what we have come to refer to as the Lord's Supper. Uh, uh, communion. We celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, he instituted this and he's teaching them and there's this sense of urgency as, as we are aware as readers of John's Gospel that, that Jesus is aware of what's on the immediate horizon before him and, 
in, in, as he anticipates his betrayal and his trial and then his torture and execution, uh, it, it, there's a sense of urgency in that which he teaches it. We've actually, it comes to be kind of sort of regarded as Jesus' farewell discourse. Um, the last words that he imparts uh, to his disciples. It says, after this, so after these instructions, after all this has taken place, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Um, I always try to give you a heads up in the passage we're looking at. Some of you I know read through the passage before we get there. It, it may be that you've got some questions. There's three questions that I'd like to address specifically this morning, and then you might have some other questions that I haven't thought to address, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to, to text those to me. But the question, the first question that I, I want to address this morning is, what is the glory of the sun? What, what's being talked about here? And then the second question would be, why does this matter? And then thirdly, how did finishing his work bring God glory? He references that in verse 4. So, so what is the glory of the Son? What, why does it matter? How did finishing his work bring God glory? Now, it may be that you've read the passage through and you've got some questions, and I would just invite you to text it to the number that they'll put up on the screen here. And about 20 minutes from now, I'm going to just take a pause and attempt to answer those questions. I want to make sure that I'm scratching where you itch. Or it could be something that I've said in the course of this morning that would prompt another question, and you would say, hmm, um, what's up with that? Fire text off. It's the most kind of the easiest way for me to read it, make sure I got it, attempt to bring an answer to you. About 20 minutes from now, we'll, we'll do a little pause and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. So, so what is, what is the glory of the Son? Jesus said, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And Jesus answers this, at least in part, down in verse 5, where he says, now Father, glorify me in your presence, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, we have here what's referred to as a literary inclusio. Uh, there's an opening idea that's bracketed then by an idea that completes that in the context of, in this case, a paragraph. It could be a, a chapter, it could be an entire book. In this case, we can see an inclusio here um, in this little segment. And the, the second part amplifies the first, gives us some insight into what Jesus is talking about in the first part. And one of the things that we see here is that this statement is a reminder to us that Jesus is divine. There's no way that you can, that you or I could say, Lord, glorify us with the glory we had before the world began. It's either true, it's either true, this is actually either true of Jesus, that he existed in the presence of the Father before the creation of the world, or he's insane. Right? I mean, C.S. Lewis was, I think, the first to, to at least make um, prominent the, the statement that Jesus was either a liar, in which case he died for something he knew to be, knew to, to be untrue. He was a lunatic, in which case the whole world went after one who was mentally unstable, or he was who he claimed to be. He was God incarnate, God come among us uh, in human form. And John, his closest friend, was utterly convinced that that was the case, that this was no mere human being, though he was fully human. This was God walking among us. And, and he states it here in recounting this prayer of Jesus. He states it elsewhere in the Gospel of John. In fact, he starts with the, the Gospel of John with it. John chapter 1, verse 1, 
Uh, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. We come to understand he's referring to Jesus there. Word equals Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Lots of great stuff, but we'll jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, of course, this is John writing in retrospect. He was the last of the four gospel writers to write, probably writing as a senior man at this point, looking back in retrospect, saying, we saw it. You know, we we didn't necessarily see it in the moment, but by the time it was all said and done, we saw it. It was so utterly clear to us. In fact, so clear was it to us that John would say, you know, the the other 11 uh, who walked with us in close personal intimacy, they all died because they refused to recant this conviction of who Jesus was. John was the only one that actually died a natural death. Uh, The rest were all executed because they were utterly convinced that this was no mere human being. So the glory of the Son, his glorification was the revealing of or the complete revelation of the fullness of of who his identity really was, his true identity, beginning to be seen already in the pages of Scripture as they walked with him, but ultimately seen. And Jesus here, in the conclusion of this sermon, so they've been been way together, they've been in the upper room, they've been celebrating Passover, the betrayal has begun, and he's, he's communicating the most fundamental truths that he wants to make sure are instilled to his followers, to his, his closest followers, and he prays. Lord, I want you to glorify me in order that I may glorify you. Show the world the greatness that is me now in and through this. It's an invitation that the pre-incarnate word, big words, I'm sorry. So incarnate, incarnation, Christmas, okay, right? So so at Christmas we talk about, about God being incarnate among us. He comes down among us to become one of us. So here we're talking about the pre-incarnate word, before his incarnation. We're talking about Jesus as he was in the beginning with the Father, which he's referenced here in verse 5, and that that glory that was there would be evidenced now. And we say that, why is it important? What, what is it that matters about this? And, and and he actually provides some answer for us, even in the language that he uses in this prayer. Uh, he wants the world to see who he truly is, in part because it's connected with us, our ability to see who the Father really is. Verse 1, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. It's a purpose statement here. Uh, for the, glorify your Son for the purpose that the glory of the Father would be seen through me. And we're beginning to see that the primary purpose of Jesus' life was about pointing to the greatness of the Father, helping people to to see, helping us, causing us to see and be confronted by the brilliance and the glory that is the Father's. And we would say, well, well, how is that going to come about? And, And again, the text tells us that. Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that, purpose statement, your Son may glorify you, for, so here's here's the means by which it's going to happen, 
For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, now, I know this is kind of heavy, but let's pause for a minute here because, again, the structure in the, in the language is going to be helpful to us in order to, to get at what Jesus was talking about. He's making this request to the Father using kind of literary tools, uh, tools of language, um, that's called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. Uh, so where in inclusio, the first idea is parallel with the last idea, because a chiasm, when there's middle ideas that do the same thing. Follow with me here. So verse 1, we'll call it A, is parallel to verse 5, we'll call it A prime. So let me read that for you. Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So, so we begin to see some definition to what the glory is about. It's about the glory that he had before the world began. It's about seeing fully who Jesus is. Look at the second line, second verse. We'll call it B. For you granted him authority over all people. So that for is a, is a statement of means. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jump down to verse 4. B prime. I have brought you glory on earth. By, another statement of, uh, of means, finishing the work you gave me to do. Verse, verse 4 is explaining, it's amplifying, it's, it's further helping us understand uh, what it means, uh, what this work is that the Father has given him to do, this work of showing eternal life, providing eternal life for those the Father has given him, and it's going to come about through the completion of the work, through the finishing of the work. And then we get to the center of this chiasm, and it, the center of the chiasm kind of holds the fundamental uh, truth that, that needs to be grasped. And, and here we see it in, in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the assignment, you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here's Jesus teaching in the upper room. Fundamental teaching, wanting to make sure in these last moments that he has seized the opportunity for them to, to get it, for them to, to live. And he's praying initially that he would be glorified in order that the Father would be glorified. What that's going to require is that he's going to need to go through death in order to be restored to the Father. But it's not just death that he must go through. It, it, it's going to require more than death. It's going to require completion of the assignment, a finishing of the work that had been given to him. Uh, giving eternal life to all those the Father had given, verse 2. The finishing of the work, verse 4. And Jesus is praying that the Father God would carry him through the completion of this work, through the, the betrayal, through the trial, through the, the torture, through the death, ultimately through his burial and, and, and resurrection, and ultimately right through to his ascension back to the Father. And what were Jesus' final words? He's praying that his work would be finished. What were his final words as he hung on the cross? John 19. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So, so what is the glory of the Son? The glory of the Son was that his, the fullness of who he truly is would be seen and what would be encountered. And why does it matter? Well, it matters because it was necessary to affect our rescue out of darkness and into eternal life. 
And it affects our ability to see the Father because through the completion of the work, we were going to see the brilliance of the Father. Have you ever just wished God would show up and we would see him? Yes. Like, you know, in the middle of whatever it is you're going through, whatever the, 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 the next challenge is, right? <laughs> Lord, would you just, God, would you just show up and bam, like, like, make it so evident. Like, let the world see, fix the problems in the world, fix the problems in my life, fix the problems that are me. <laughs> Lord, would you just show up? And that is, is in great part what's taking place here. This is about Father showing up in all his glory and us seeing his glory through the work of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here as we move on to this third question, which is how did finishing this work bring God glory? What was the means by which it happened? It's a simple word. One word. The word is obedience. Obedience. The greatness of the Father's rescue plan launched back in the Garden of Eden when humanity fell into rebellion against Father God. And that plan that he put into place in the Garden and then nurtured through his covenant relationship with his, his people, the children of Israel, nurturing that plan was going to be was culminated right here on the immediate horizon of this prayer of Jesus. This is what it was all about. And it was going to come about through the obedience the Son manifest to the Father. And finishing this work of giving eternal life to those the Father had given him. It's the reason why he came. And obedience in this would expose the glory and the greatness of the Father. And in so doing, we would see the, the glory, the beauty, the greatness of the Son of Jesus. And obedience was the key. Let me ask, what's, what's the purpose of your life? Anyone take some time off after high school to find themselves? Right? You know, or maybe it was after that first year of university. Maybe you're saying, I'm still trying to find myself. <laughs> um, the purpose of your life, the purpose of your life is to glorify God. Fundamentally, that is why you are here. The purpose of Jesus' life was to glorify God. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. I mean, you say, hang on a minute here. That seems awfully heavy. Like, isn't that just a little large, considering who I am? Like, it's just little old me. That becomes part of the point. Remember, we're not creating anything here. God is glorious. God is great. He is spectacular. He is just. He is merciful. He is kind. He is all-powerful. He is all-loving. All you and I are doing is just pointing people in that direction. Allowing those things to be seen through the way we live our lives. We talked about that last, last Sunday. That when we become in a relationship with the Father through the Son, having confessed our sin and begin walking in a new way with our eyes fixed on Jesus, God himself comes and takes up residence in our lives through the work and person of the Holy Spirit. And increasingly makes us who he's called us to be. And his, his, his greatness begins to radiate out of us. A, a light within that, that becomes increasingly evident. Sometimes we cover it up with our messed upness. And then every now and then others hatch and close. Oh. If God can be that spectacular to do that kind of work in something like 
It must be spectacular. Westminster Shorter Catechism was completed in 1647 by people who loved Jesus, loved Scripture, and just longed that others would grow in their understanding of who God is. Catechism means a sort of course of instruction. Um, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The purpose in life is, is to point others, point the world, live your life in such a way that God's glory is seen. Let me just point to a few quick passages here. Psalm 86, 9, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Isaiah 60, verse 21, speaking of God's people, then will all your people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor, God says, for the display of my glory are the words of the Lord. Romans eleven thirty six. 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul writes in Romans 6.20, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God or glorify God with your body. Chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, Revelation 4, 11, you are worthy, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The purpose of your life, the purpose of my life, the purpose of, of the church collectively is that the greatness of God would be seen through the weakness that, that is each and every one of us. As he faced his greatest trial, Jesus was praying, Father, I just want your glory to see. And the means by which that was to come about was through the glorification of the Son. And that would happen because he was obedient. What are you praying? What are you praying these days? And maybe it's the Jody Foster character, or just keep me out of this mess and I'll never take a risk again. No, I mean, it's, it's, Lord, show up. Don't feel bad about what you're praying to God. He can take it, okay? He can take it. Um, but maybe there are some ways of, of coaching ourselves, instructing ourselves, concerning just being a little more effective. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Glorified be your name. Okay, the same, same kind of idea, present. I mean, we tend to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. I think that's part of the nature of the human condition. We kind of get our eyes on everything that's going on, all the problems, all the questions that we don't have answers to, and, and we just... What if we simplified it down to just the next thing? Not all the things, just, just the next thing. Lord, would you show me what that next thing is that through better understanding I would bring more glory to you? Or through greater obedience. What's the next step of obedience that I need to take, Lord? What's that next thing? Just lead me in that next thing. That next way, everlasting, ultimately, but, but just one step. What are those things in your life? Those activities, those, those commitments, which will result in God's greatness being seen. I suspect they're far simpler than maybe we wonder. Let me pause there for a minute and take some questions in case I'm just completely not scratching your itching, or maybe it's a question that would kind of move us forward. But um, you can send it to the text cell number there. Um, do you have anything for me yet, Tim?
Um, so, if, maybe texting, or if you just want to shout out a question, that'd be great. So, don't leave me hanging here. Someone's got to ask someone a question. You know, it's actually remarkably common uh, kind of throughout the pages of Scripture. Um, I wouldn't want to say a percentage, you know, but, but it's, it's not uncommon. Let's let me put it that way. Yeah, it, it, we, we have ways of talking. Um, ancient writers often have ways of writing that were sort of intuitive and natural to them. Uh, not too dissimilar, I think, to uh, the way the Psalms uh, often are written with parallelism, you know, where there's an idea that's stated in the song, and then there's a parallel idea that's, that's stated in the next line. You know, a similar you know, kind of literary tool um, that's instructed to us. So you start seeing it, and then you're like, oh, that's making more sense to me. I'm finding it easier to read. Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. Okay, we'll work on our questions. Okay? I, I think you've been watching notice this week. Next week, we're going to do this every week, so put your questions thing on. I'll do my best. Terry, yeah. I'll just read this one out. In a world where there are multiple religions and one of the fastest growing religions is Islam, how do we as Christians share with love our God is the only true God? <laughs> I did, you're right. There may be a limit to that offer. <laughs> So maybe one thing I would acknowledge would be, I think the question kind of goes off in you know a really substantial direction, um, which has all kinds of implications to the answers. You know, here we're talking about one thing, we're talking about the next thing, and, and so if we were to just even bring that sort of back here and say, well, what would that next thing be? Well, is that next thing the church family saying we're going to welcome a family that's been displaced by war and horror um, and show them love? Now, in our case, the family we're expecting to, to come is a Christian family that's been displaced by war and love. Uh, but the same principles would apply whether they were a Muslim family or a Hindu family or a Buddhist family. Or um, uh, I think one of the ways that, that um, followers of Jesus have been really intentional, I think very successful about showing love, showing, and, and, and honestly, I think ultimately showing the greatness of God uh, would be through humanitarian organizations like Samaritan's Purse. Um, I was in Indonesia uh, a number of years ago um, after the tsunami had hit. About two years after the tsunami hit, um, uh, the Aceh province, um, uh, the northern tip of the island in, in Indonesia. And um, I think profound to me was where the Christian organizations like Samaritan's Purse were the first organizations on the ground with help. They brought by and far away the most help, and they stayed by and far the longest. Um, and they did so in the name of Jesus. Passion, mercy, people not like us, people don't believe like us, um, but bringing hope. And one of the things that God was doing there, you know, even through that horrible disaster, was kind of blasting the doors open to an island that had been utterly closed, had been completely closed via Shreya law. And um, uh, no evangelism was happening. All of a sudden, you know, um, Christians were able to bring the love of Jesus through practical acts. Uh, I'm not saying those are. Uh, That's not a comprehensive list, um, but I think they're, they're very good starts. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I support, you know, uh, World Vision or, or Compassion International. You know, sponsoring a child, showing love, 
um, what, 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 what one thing, what next thing could I do? Um, I can't necessarily have a Baxter change the world, uh, but I can change the world perhaps for one person. Um, hopefully that's a helpful answer. I think I took more of that. I've, I've been trying to do these in one minute. <laughs> I think that's long than that. This is an invitation to live our lives in such a way that God is seen. Um, I just want your glory to be seen in and through me, Lord Jesus. Lord, how might I live my life that it would, would be leveraged for your greatest benefit? I just want the world around me to see the glory that is you, and even if nobody sees it, that my life would still bring testimony, would still testify to the greatness that is you. There's a wonderful scene in um, C.S. Lewis' book, uh, A Horse and His Boy. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, Quinn is this uh, horse, this talking horse, who's helped affect the rescue of, of a couple of children out of uh, Kalorman, across the desert, initially into Arkenland and ultimately to Narnia. Um, she's been raised over there, though she's a talking horse from Narnia, uh, and she was raised in this foreign country. And when she, and she has this, they have this first encounter with Aslan, kind of face-to-face -face. Aslan, um, the great lion who, who rules Narnia, the, the son of the emperor over the sea. Uh, he's a Christ figure in the novel series. And, and he beckons them to come near and, and listen to um, what Sue Lewis writes. Then when, uh, though shaking all over, gave a strange little name and trotted over to the lion. Please, she said, you're so beautiful. You may eat me if you like. I'd sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. Aslan responds, dearest daughter, I knew you would not be long in coming to me. Joy of yours. We begin to see the beauty that is our God. The greatness that is our God. The majesty of which is uniquely His. Lord, how might I live my life that it would be leveraged for your greatest benefit? I want your glory to be seen, Father. And maybe you'd answer out of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And he would say, show mercy and justice and humility. <coughs> or maybe he would answer with Matthew 28, verse 19, and he would say, would you, would you be about the gospel, the good news that I have come, and, and be about the work of making disciples through the ends of the earth? Or, or maybe James 1, 27, or Hebrews 13, 16, where he would say, care for, for those that you know are in need. One thing. Next step. I just want your glory to be seen, Father. Jesus here modeling that ambition for us, fundamental to his prayer before he returns to the Father. Maybe, maybe you need to make this part of your kind of daily prayer pattern, practice. Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. Help me complete the work you've given me so that your glory will be seen. Let's stand together. Lord, Father, would you glorify us that we might glorify you and help us complete the work that you've given us to do so that your glory will be seen, we ask, O oh God.
Lord, I pray that even as we linger in your presence through the singing of these songs, through the praying of these lyrics, pray, Lord, that you'd be stirring uh, in the hearts of each and every one of us here what that one needs to begin to look like. Are those places in our lives those activities, those commitments which through which you would you would show the greatness that is you through the weakness and the frailty that is us through the great gifts that you've given to us rightly deployed for you and we would long Lord Jesus in that along with us the world would see greatness that is you. O oh Lord and our God, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus.